Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. Our heroes have just about managed to reach the titular restaurant at the end of the universe in this reading of Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They're being asked a very important question by a green blur. A good evening, madam, gentlemen, it said. Do you have a reservation? Ford Prefect's consciousness snapped back like elastic, making his brain smart. He looked up woozily at the green blur. Reservation? he said weakly. Yes, sir, said the green blur. Do you need a reservation for the afterlife? Insofar as it is possible for a green blur to arch its eyebrows disdainfully, this is what the green blur did now. Afterlife, sir, it said. Arthur Dent was grappling with his consciousness the way one grapples with a lost bar of soap in the bath. Is this the afterlife? he stammered. Well, I assume so, said Fort Prefect, trying to work out which way was up. He tested the theory that it must lie in the opposite direction from the cold, hard shore on which he was lying and staggered to what he hoped were his feet. I mean, he said, swaying gently, there's no way we could have survived that blast, is there? No, muttered Arthur. He'd raised himself up onto his elbows, but it didn't seem to improve things. He slumped down again. No, said Trillian, standing up, no way at all. A dull, hoarse gurgling sound came from the floor. It was Zaphod Beeblerocks attempting to speak. I certainly didn't survive, he gurgled. I was a total goner. Wham, bam, and that was it. Yeah, thanks to you, said Ford. We didn't stand a chance. We must have been blown to bits, arms, legs, everywhere. Yeah, said Zaphod, struggling noisily to his feet. If the lady and gentleman would like to order drinks, said the green blur, hovering impatiently beside them. Kaplow splat, continued Zaphod, instantaneously zonked into our component molecules. Hey, Ford, he said, identifying one of the slowly solidifying blurs around him. Did you get that thing of your whole life flashing before you? You got that too, said Ford. Your whole life? Yeah, said Zaphod. At least I assume it was mine. I spent a lot of time out of my skulls, you know. He looked around him at the various shapes that were at last becoming proper shapes instead of vague and wobbling shapeless shapes. So, he said. So what, said Ford. So here we are, said Zaphod hesitantly. Lying, dead. Standing, said Trillian, correcting him. Uh, standing dead, continued Zaphod, in this desolate restaurant, said Arthur Dent, who got to his feet and could now, much to his surprise, see clearly. That is to say, the thing that surprised him was not that he could see, but what he could see. Here we are, continued Zaphod doggedly, standing dead in this desolate five-star, said Trillian, restaurant, concluded Zaphod. Old, isn't it, said Ford. Uh, yeah. Nice chandeliers, though, said Trillian. They looked about themselves in bemusement. It's not so much an afterlife, said Arthur. More sort of apres vie. 
chandeliers were in fact a little on the flashy side and the low vaulted ceiling from which they were hung would not in an ideal universe have been painted in that particular shade of deep turquoise and even if it had been it wouldn't have been highlighted by concealed mood lighting. This is not, however, an ideal universe, as was further evidenced by the eye-crossing patterns of the inlaid marble floor and the way in which the fronting for the 80-yard-long marble-top bar had been made. The fronting for the 80-long marble-top bar had been made by stitching together nearly 20,000 Antian mosaic lizard skins, despite the fact that the 20,000 lizards concerned had needed them to keep their insides in. A few smartly dressed creatures were lounging casually at the bar, or relaxing in the richly coloured body-hugging seats that were deployed here and there about the bar area. A young of Lahurg officer and his green steaming young lady passed through the large smoked glass doors at the far end of the bar into the dazzling light of the main body of the restaurant beyond. Behind Arthur was a large curtained bay window. He pulled aside the corner of the curtain and looked out at the landscape, which, under normal circumstances, would have given Arthur the creeping horrors. These were not, however, normal circumstances. For the thing that froze his blood and made his skin try to crawl up his back and off the top of his head was the sky. The sky was... An attendant flunky politely drew the curtain back into place. All in good time, sir, he said. Zaphod's eyes flashed. Hey, hang, hang about, you dead guys, he said. I think we're missing some ultra-important thing here, you know. Something, something, somebody said and we missed it. Arthur was profoundly relieved to turn his attention from what he had just seen. He said, yeah, I said it was a sort of apparatus. Yeah, and don't you wish you hadn't, said Zephod. Ford? I said it was odd. Yes, shrewd but dull. Perhaps it was. Perhaps, interrupted the green blur, who had by this time resolved into the shape of a small, wizened, dark-suited green waiter. Perhaps you would like to discuss the matter over drinks. Drinks, cried Zephod. That was it. See what you miss if you don't stay alert? Indeed, sir, said the waiter patiently. If the lady and gentleman care to order drinks before dinner. Dinner? Zephod exclaimed with passion. Listen, little green person, my stomach would like to take you home and cuddle you all night for the mere idea. And the universe, concluded the waiter, determined not to be deflected on his home stretch, will explode later for your pleasure. Vaud's head swiveled towards him. He spoke with feeling. Wow, he said. What sort of drinks do you serve in this place? The waiter laughed, a polite little waiter laughed. Ah, he said. I think sir has perhaps misunderstood me. Oh, I hope not, breathed Ford. The waiter coughed a polite little waiter's cough. It is not unusual for our customers to be a little disorientated by the time journey, he said. So, if I might suggest... Time journey, said Zephod. Time journey, said Ford. Time journey, said Trillian. You mean this isn't the afterlife, said Arthur. The waiter smiled a polite little waiter smile. He'd almost exhausted his polite little waiter repertoire and would soon be slipping into his role of a rather tight-lipped and sarcastic little waiter. Afterlife, sir, he said. No, sir. 
And you're not dead, said Arthur. The waiter tightened his lips. Aha, he said. Sir is most evidently alive. Otherwise, I would not attempt to serve, sir. In an extraordinary gesture, which is pointless attempting to describe, Seifel Beeblerock slapped both his foreheads with two of his arms and one of his thighs with the other. Hey, guys, he said. This is crazy. We finally did it. We finally got to where we're going. This is Millyways. Yes, sir, said the waiter, laying on the patience with a trowel. This is Millyways, the restaurant at the end of the universe. End of what? said Arthur. The universe, repeated the waiter, very clearly and unnecessarily distinctly. When did that end? said Arthur. In just a few minutes, sir, said the waiter. He took a deep breath. He didn't need to do this since his body was supplied with a peculiar assortment of gases it required for survival from a small intravenous device strapped to its leg. There are times, however, when, whatever your metabolism, you have to take a deep breath. Now, if you would care to order drinks at last, he said, I will then show you to your table. Zaphod grinned two manic grins, sauntered over to the bar, and bought most of it. The restaurant at the end of the universe is one of the most extraordinary ventures in the entire history of catering. It has been built on the fragmented remains of... It will be built on the fragmented... That is to say, it will have been built by the time, and indeed has been... One of the major problems encountered in time travel is not accidentally becoming your own father or mother. There is no problem involved in becoming your own father or mother that a broad-minded and well-adjusted family can't cope with. There is also no problem about changing the course of history. The course of history does not change because it all fits together like a jigsaw. All the important changes have happened before the things that were supposed to change, and it all sorts itself out in the end. The major problem is simply one of grammar, and the main work to consult on this matter is Dr. Dan Stretmenchener's Time Traveller's Handbook of 1001 Tense Formations. It will tell you, for instance, how to describe something that was about to happen to you in the past before you avoided it by time jumping forwards two days in order to avoid it. The event will be described differently according to whether you're talking about it from the standpoint of your own natural time, from a time in the further future, or a time in the further past, and is further complicated by the possibility of conducting conversations whilst you are actually travelling from one time to another with the intention of becoming your own father or mother. Most readers get as far as the semi-conditionally modified sub-inverted plagal pass-subjunctive intentional before giving up, and in fact in later editions of the book all the pages beyond this point have been left blank to save on printing costs. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy skips lightly over this tangle of academic abstraction, pausing only to note that the term future perfect has been abandoned since it was discovered not to be. To resume, 
The restaurant at the end of the universe is one of the most extraordinary ventures in the entire history of catering. It is built on the fragmented remains of an eventually ruined planet, which is, uh, will have been uh, enclosed in a vast time bubble and projected forward in time to the precise moment of the end of the universe. This is, many would say, impossible. In it, guests take, well on take, their places at table and eat, well on eat, sumptuous meals whilst watching, uh, willing watching, the whole of creation explode around them. This is, many would say, equally impossible. You can arrive, may an arrive on, on when, uh, for any sitting you like without prior late, late for when reservation, because you can book retrospectively, as it were, when you return to your own time. You can have on book, haven't a for when, uh, pre-sooning, returning winter, return home. There you have it. This is, many would now insist, absolutely impossible. At the restaurant, you can meet and dine with Mayan Mitan Con with Dayan on Onwen, a fascinating cross-section of the entire population of space and time. This, it can be explained patiently, is also impossible. You can visit it as many times as you like, Mayan on visit, re-on visiting, and so on for further tense corrections. Consult Dr. Street Mentioner's book and be sure of never meeting yourself because of the embarrassment this usually causes. This, even if the rest were true, which it isn't, is patently impossible, say the doubters. All you have to do is to deposit one penny in a savings account in your own era, and when you arrive at the end of time, the operation of compound interest means that the fabulous cost of your meal has been paid for. This, many claim, is not merely impossible, but clearly insane, which is why the advertising executives of the star system, Abasta Blonde, came up with the slogan, If you've done six impossible things this morning, why not round it off with breakfast at Millyways, the restaurant at the end of the universe? At the bar, Zayfold was rapidly becoming as tired as a newt. His head's knocked together and his smiles are coming out of sync. He was miserably happy. Say, Ford, said Ford, whilst you're still capable of speech, would you care to tell me what the photon happened? Where have you been? Where have we been? Small matter, <laughs> like it cleared up. Seyfold's left head sobered up, leaving his right to sink further into the obscurity of drink. Yeah, he said, I've been around... They want me to find that man who rules the universe, but I don't care to meet him. I believe the man can't cook. His left head watched his right head, saying this, and then nodded. True, it said. Have another drink. Ford had another pangalactic gargle blaster, the drink which has been described as the alcoholic equivalent of a mugging, expensive and bad for the head. Whatever had happened, Ford decided he didn't really care too much. Listen, Ford, said Zephod, everything's cool and fruity. You mean everything's under control? No, said Zephod, I don't mean everything's under control. That would not be cool and fruity. If, if you want to know what happened, let's just say I had the whole situation in my pocket, OK? Ford shrugged. Zephod giggled into his drink. It frothed up over the side of the glass and started to eat its way into the marble bar top. 
A wild-skinned sky gypsy approached them and played electric violin at them until Zaphod gave him a lot of money and agreed to go away again. The gypsy approached Arthur and Trillian, sitting in another part of the bar. I don't know what this place is, said Arthur, but I think it gives me the creeps. Have another drink, said Trillian. Enjoy yourself. Which, said Arthur, these two are mutually exclusive. Poor Arthur, you're not really cut out for this life, are you? You call this life? You're beginning to sound like Marvin. Marvin's the clearest thinker I know. How do you think we make this violinist go away? The waiter approached. Your table is ready, he said. Seen from the outside, which it never is, the restaurant resembles a giant glittering starfish beached on a forgotten rock. Each of its arms houses the bars, the kitchens, the force field generators which protect the entire structure and the decayed planet on which it sits, and the time turbines which slowly rock the whole affair backwards and forwards across the crucial moment. In the centre sits the gigantic golden dome, almost a complete globe, and it was into this area that Zaphod, Ford, Trillian, Arthur now passed. At least five tons of glitter alone had gone into it before them and covered every available space. The other surfaces were not available because they were already encrusted with jewels, precious seashells from Sandraginus, gold leaf, mosaic, tiles, lizard skids, and a million unidentified embellishments and decorations. Glass glittered, silver shone, gold gleamed. Arthur Dent goggled. Wow, he, he said Zaphon. Zappo! Incredible, breathed Arthur. The people, the things. The things, said Ford Prefect quietly, are also people. The people, resumed Arthur. The other people. The lights, said Trillian. The table, said Arthur. The clothes, said Trillian. The waiter thought they sounded like a couple of bailiffs. The end of the university is very popular, said Zaphod, threading his way unsteadily through the throng of tables, some made of marble, some of rich ultramahogany, some even of platinum, and at each a party of exotic creatures chatting amongst themselves and studying menus. People like to dress up for it, continued Zaphod, gives it a sense of occasion. The tables were fanned out in a large circle around a central stage area where a small band were playing light music. At least a thousand tables was Arthur's guess, and interspersed amongst them were swaying palms, hissing fountains, grotesque statuary. In short, all the paraphernalia common to all restaurants where little expense has been spared to give the impression that no expense has been spared. Arthur glanced around, half expecting to see someone making an American Express commercial. Zaphod lurched into Ford, who lurched back into Zaphod. Wowee, said Zaphod. Zappo, said Ford. My great-granddaddy must have really screwed up the computer's works, you know, said Zaphod. I told it to take us to the nearest place to eat, and it sends us to the end of the universe. Remind me to be nice to it one day. He paused. Hey, everybody's here, you know. Everybody who was anybody was, said Arthur. At the end of the universe, you have to use the past tense a lot, said Zaphod, because everything's been done, you know. Hi, guys, he called out to a nearby party of giant iguana life forms. How did you do? 
Is that Zayford Beeblebrooks? asked one iguana of another iguana. I think so, replied the second iguana. Well, doesn't that just take the biscuit? said the first iguana. Funny old thing, life, said the second iguana. It's what you make of it, said the first, and they lapsed back into silence. They were waiting for the greatest show in the universe. Hey, Zayford, said Ford, grabbing for his arm, and, on account of the third pangalactic gargoyle blaster, missing, he pointed a swaying finger. There's an old mate of mine, he said. Hot black Desiato. See the man on the platinum table with the platinum suit on? Zaphod tried to follow Ford's finger with his eyes, but it made him feel dizzy. Finally, he saw. Oh, yeah, he said. Then recognition came a moment later. Hey, he said, did that guy ever make it mega big? Well, bigger than the biggest thing ever, rather than me. Who's he supposed to be? asked Trillian. Hot black Desiato, said Zaphod in astonishment. You don't know? You've never heard of disaster area? No, said Trillian, who hadn't. The biggest, said Ford. Loudest? Richest? suggested Zaphod. Rock band in the history of? He searched for a word. History itself, said Zaphod. No, said Trillian. Sowie, said Zaphod. Here we are at the end of the universe and you haven't even lived yet. Did you miss out? He led her off to where the waiter had been waiting all this time at the table. Arthur followed them, feeling very lost and alone. Ford waded off through the throng to renew an old acquaintance. Hey, yeah, hot black, he called out. How you doing? Great to see you, big boy. How's the noise? You're looking great, really. Very, very fat and unwell. Amazing, he slapped the man on the back and was mildly surprised that it seemed to elicit no response. The pangalactic gargoyle blasters swirling around inside him told him to plunge on regardless. Remember the old days, he said. We used to hang out, right? The bistro illegal, remember? Slim's Throat Emporium, the evil drone boozer armour. Great days, eh? Hot Black Desiato offered no opinion as to whether they were great days or not. Ford was not perturbed. And when we were hungry, we'd pose as public health inspectors, you remember that, and go around confiscating meals and drinks, right, till we got food poisoning. Oh, and then there were those long nights of talking and drinking in those smelly rooms above the Café Lou in Gretchen Town, New Beetle. And, and you were always in the next room trying to write songs on your adjutor, and we all hated them. And you said you didn't care, and we said we did because we hated them so much. Ford's eyes were beginning to mist over. And you said you didn't want to be a star, he continued, wallowing in nostalgia, because you despised the star system. And we said, Hadro and Sugiaro and me, and we said you didn't think you had the option. And what do you do now? You buy star systems. He turned and solicited the attention of those at nearby tables. Here, he said, is a man who buys star systems. Hot Black Desiato made no attempt either to confirm or deny this fact, and the attention of the temporary audience waned rapidly. I think someone's drunk, muttered a purple bush-like being into his wine glass. Ford staggered slightly and sat down heavily on the chair facing Hot Black Desiato. What's that number you do, he said, unwisely grabbing at a bottle for support and tipping it over into a nearby glass as it happened not to waste a happy accident, he drained the glass. 
That really huge number, he continued. How does it go? Bam, bam, There's something. And in the stage act you do, it ends up with this ship crashing right into the sun. And you actually do it. Ford crashed his fist into the other hand to illustrate the feats graphically. He knocked the bottle over again. Ship, sun, wham, bang, he cried. I mean, forget lasers and stuff. You guys are into solar flares and real sunburn. Oh, and terrible songs. His eyes followed the stream of liquid gurgling out of the bottle onto the table. Something ought to be done about it, he thought. Hey, you want a drink, he said. It began to sink into his squelching mind that something was missing from this reunion and that the missing something was in some way connected with the fact that the fat man sitting opposite him in the platinum suit and the silver trilby had not yet said hi, Ford, or great to see you after all this time, or in fact anything at all. More to the point, he had not yet even moved. Hot black, said Ford. Large, meaty hand landed on his shoulder from behind and pushed him aside. He slid gracefully off his seat and peered upwards to see if he could spot the owner of this discourteous hand. The owner was not hard to spot on account of his being something of the order of seven feet tall and not slightly built with it. In fact, he was built the way one builds leather sofas, shiny, lumpy and with lots of solid stuffing. The suit into which the man's body had been stuffed looked as if its only purpose in life was to demonstrate how difficult it was to get this sort of body into a suit. The face had the texture of an orange and the colour of an apple, but there the resemblance to anything sweet ended. Kid, said a voice, which emerged from the man's mouth as if having a really tough time down his chest. Oh, yeah? said Ford conversationally. He staggered back to his feet again and was disappointed that the top of his head didn't come further up the man's body. Beat it, said the man. Oh, yeah, said Ford, wondering how wise he was being. And who are you? The man considered this for a moment. He wasn't used to being asked this sort of question. Nevertheless, after a while, he came up with an answer. I'm the guy who's telling you to beat it, he said, before you get it beaten for you. Now, listen, said Ford nervously. He wished his head would stop spinning, settle down and get to grips with the situation. Now, listen, he continued, I'm one of Hot Black's oldest friends and... He glanced at Hot Black Desiato, who still hadn't moved so much as an eyelash. And, said Ford again, wondering what could be a good word to say after and... The large man came up with a whole sentence to go after and. He said it. And I am Mr. Desiato's bodyguard, it went. And I am responsible for his body, and I am not responsible for yours. So take it away before it gets damaged. Now, wait a minute, said Ford. No minutes, boomed the bodyguard. No waiting. Mr. Desiato speaks to no one. Well, perhaps you'd let him see what he thinks about the matter himself, said Ford. He speaks to no one, bellowed the bodyguard. Ford glanced anxiously at Hot Black again and was forced to admit to himself that the bodyguard seemed to have the facts on his side. There was still not the slightest sign of movement, let alone keen interest in Ford's welfare. Why, said Ford, what's the matter with him? The bodyguard told him. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy notes that disaster area, a plutonium rock band from the Gagrakaka mine zones, are generally held to be not only the loudest rock band in the galaxy, but in fact the loudest noise of any kind at all. 
Regular concert goers judge that the best sound balance is usually to be heard within large concrete bunkers some 37 miles from the stage, whilst the musicians themselves play their instruments by remote control from within a heavily insulated spaceship which stays in orbit around a planet or, more frequently, around a completely different planet. Their songs are on the whole very simple and mostly follow a familiar theme of boy being meets girl being beneath the silvery moon which then explodes for no adequately explored reason. Many worlds have now banned their act, sometimes for artistic reasons, but most commonly because the band's public address system contravenes local strategic arms limitation treaties. This has not, however, stopped their earnings from pushing back the boundaries of pure hypermathematics, and their chief research accountant has recently been appointed Professor of Neomathematics at the University of Maximegalon in recognition of both his general anti-special theories of disaster area tax returns, which he proves that the whole fabric of the space-time continuum is not merely curved, it is in fact totally bent. Ford staggered back to the table where Zayford, Arthur and Trillian were sitting, waiting for the fun to begin. Could I have some food, said Ford. Hi, Ford, said Zayford. You speak to the uh, big noise boy? Ford wagged his head noncommittally. Hot black, I sort of spoke to him. Yeah, what did he say? Well, not a lot, really. He's, um, yeah? He's spending a year dead for tax reasons. I've got to sit down. He sat down. The waiter approached. Would you like to see the menu, he said, or would you like to meet the dish of the day? Huh? said Ford. Huh? said Arthur. Huh? said Trillian. That's cool, said they, Ford. We'll meet the meat. And here we end this episode. That was one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk. Mm-hmm.